Vodka. 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 Vodka O'Clock. Hey everyone, it's Amber Love and you are listening to Vodka O'Clock. It's another episode where I recorded a panel at New York Comic Con. And this one was called Marry, Do, or Kill. Uh, how, uh, how do we shatter the female stereotypes in comics? And um, I, I'll say this right up front that a lot of the panelists were friends of mine. And uh, so I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty harsh critic on this particular panel because I, I know people. And um, there were some problems in regards to the organization of the panel, such as the fact that there were way more panelists than you would normally fit uh, on you know, onto something, this type of discussion where you do want to get in depth. Now, I know that there are big panels like Marvel and like Women of Marvel have like a ton of guests as well. The problem when you have so many guests like that is that nobody really gets the best opportunity to talk about um, a particular subject or answer a question thoroughly. Um, The other thing is that there were some uh, like quality issues. Uh, People in the back of the room couldn't actually hear what was being said, and some people actually got up and left. Uh, But the room itself was jam-packed, and they would not allow people to come in for standing room, which, um, you know, shows how popular the subject would have been if it had been put into the properly sized room and had the proper audio and microphones for every panelist. They mean, they didn't even have chairs for every panelist. So um, there, you know, there were just some issues in that regard. Um, Now, it was not at all what I was expecting because, (laughs) you know, I'll be perfectly honest, when I, you know, heard that the panel was called Mary Do Kill, I was expecting something hilarious that if you don't know what that is that's a game that people play where you'd be given three names and uh they could be real or fictional and you would decide you know which one of those people you would marry which one of those people you would have sex with and which one of those people you would kill and it's just a silly little you know party game um and, you know, it is something that we've done in, in comics. We've done that with fictional characters. I remember, you know, there was a, a group of girls. We had a big, like, slumber party sponsored by Midtown Comics one year. And we did that uh, with fictional characters like, you know, Bruce Wayne and Tony Stark. And so um, the panelists in, in this case just sort of used that, uh, I guess, as a title to sort of introduce the the ways that female characters are often not developed very well. I guess that their, you know, their their point was that female characters are often there as trophies. So they're either, you know, going to end up as being just the loyal girlfriend or wife, um, or, you know, in the case of, you know, when you see characters like Tony Stark, that they're just sort of betting these different women who, you know, you don't even care if they have names as characters. And then they're the ones that uh, they they do the women in refrigerators. You know, now not all deaths of female characters are necessarily what they call fridging, but some of them are. And that was um, something that was brought up quickly during this panel and really could have been explored a lot further. In fact, that alone could be a panel. So the um, the panel guests in in this uh, episode here. Uh, was moderated by Enrique Jang, who is the publisher of Red Stylo Media. And um, you should know Red Stylo Media, and I'm telling you this if you're listening to me, because I was in one of their anthologies, Shakespeare Shaken, 
And they put out anthologies like that all the time, and they do other other comic projects. Uh, there was also Dennis Calero, Claire Connolly. You've heard Claire on the show before. Jenny Wood, who you've heard on the show before. Erica Schultz, who you've heard on the show before. Sean Noel, also been on the show before. Um, Ellie Pyle from Marvel Comics. Andy Schmidt, um, who runs Comics Experience, which is where I studied comic book writing. And um, late, a late arrival was Abeda Lovelace, who is Sean Noel's uh, partner on City of Walls. And City of Walls is a really great comic series that I recommend um, because it's so independent and the guys, you know, aren't doing it full time. It, it is a slow project, but it's a beautiful project. So I do recommend you go track them down. Um, so without further ado, I'll put the recording up and I'll also let you know that um, at the very beginning... There was a, a projector, I guess, in case anybody had any overhead uh, visual aids that they wanted displayed, and nobody did. So I put down my uh, recorder right next to this projector, not realizing it was turned on because there was nothing displaying. So for five minutes, there's sort of like this background hum, and that's all that was. When I realized what was going on, I moved the, the recorder to the floor. Uh, there's also some really good Q&A at the end. They They could have gone a lot longer, but they, you know... I have to say that about New York Comic Con is when your 45 minutes is up, you are kicked out of the room. Uh, so if you have any questions, I'm sure you can look up any of these panelists on Twitter and ask them questions specifically. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, of course, at Elizabeth Amber. And the show notes will be at amberunmasked.com. Thanks for listening. Silent Media, we're a tiny publisher of anthologies, original graphic novels, and comics. Here. Once again, I want to thank you guys for coming out. This is a really big deal um, for us to be able to uh, connect with everybody and talk about um, stuff. We're all talking about it. We're all on Twitter. We're all on the web. We're all like arguing this stuff back and forth. So it's going to be a lot of fun to get uh, such a diverse range of people, all of these creators. Um, we're all storytellers trying to, to get some good stuff out, and we're all just trying to be good storytellers. We're not teaching for the test. We're identifying stereotypes because stereotypes are lazy writing. They are lazy storytelling. So it's good to get this stuff out there and knock them down. Um, chop them down on their own. So I'm going to let these guys introduce themselves to you guys, tell you uh, where they're going to be, and uh, we'll open up for questions at the end. I'm Dennis Calero. <laughs> uh, I'm an artist and writer. Uh, I've written for television. Um, uh, this hasn't been announced yet, so keep it to yourselves. But my YA novel was just um, my first YA novel was just options for a film. I'm trusting all of you to just keep that to yourselves. I'm very excited. It's just kind of I guess I'll have to leave. I just Thank you. <laughs> I will find you. Uh, I have a new series called Made Man coming out next year from Titan Publishing and um, doing some Batman stuff for DC West Coast. And uh, yeah, I could say something really awful right now, but I just, uh, well, the bitch parks will come later. It's fine. We'll go, sorry. Do now. It. Something about broads or skirts or something like that. But that's, <laughs> it, that's cheap, and you guys were better than that, right? So I'm an independent creator. Um, I'm probably best known for uh, my comics. I worked with Erica Schultz on. It's a 
the unauthorized biography of Winston Churchill, and then these series animals, all available on Comixology, and then I just create my own comics, read, write, you know, draw, just living. <laughs> I'm Jenny Wood. Uh, my comic series, uh, my, my big one right now is Flutter. It's about a girl who shapeshifts into a boy to get the girl, and then the chaos that comes from pretending to be someone she's not. It's available through 215 Inc. They also just published my young adult novel featuring a southern teenage transgender protagonist. And I also am an ongoing contributor to the zombie uh, anthology FUBAR. Right. <laughs> Start with Dennis, because I, I have a year. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Here we go. I promised we would ask you about giant lady parts. I'm oh, sorry? Giant lady parts. What about them? Giant lady parts. I'm, I'm for it? What? <laughs> <laughs> um, busty and hot. I, I grew up thinking busty and hot was an aspiration. This is an aspiration for me. Um, okay. And, <laughs> and for is there, what's the question? <laughs> if you're teaming up to get skewered, let's just get it over with. Let's do it. So, is Busty aspirational? You do. <laughs> is I don't think any physical type is, it should be an aspiration. Uh, this is a, I'll, I'll, I'll try to answer the question in a very long-winded format. I keep it short-winded. Pardon me, pardon my wind. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think, look, I, I, I'm a father of a daughter, uh, and I don't think, I, I think that our society values physical beauty far more than it should. Uh, uh, I, look, I'm for beauty. Uh, a, a beautiful woman, and for some people a beautiful man, is a, is a, is a lovely thing to behold, and that's fine. Uh, intelligence is also pretty amazing and funny is pretty amazing too. Um, and these things are all important, but clearly we have a lopsided, just look at, or, you know, look at who gets paid the most in our society, just done. You know, you can see what, what its intelligence is not particularly valued. So no, I don't think it's an aspirational thing. Is that is that somewhere that is vaguely in the, in, of your question? In the middle of my nerves, my, my question. Now, take your time what, what I wanted to ask about is, you and I have had many, many conversations um, about art. Sure. And you're a student of, of art, and but and you are in this field, mm. and so this um, is true. <laughs> making specific anatomy comments, uh, critique of artists um, that you see this in your field. How? Well, I can tell a story. Spend, spend a lot of time googling you and looking at your body of work, and you've managed to actually avoid a lot of these pitfalls. Well, I never wanted to be. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm, curse a little bit. I never wanted to be a big tit artist. I never wanted to be, I never wanted to sell to that or kids are going to masturbate or fantasize to my work. And uh, I'll, I'll tell a, a quick story and then pass it along. Uh, when I was drawing X Factor, um, I made a specific choice and it wasn't a choice from the prism of feminism or any other, or any other ism. Uh, I was doing a group book and I wanted to, one of my aspirations was, uh, speaking of aspirations, was to make each character Visibly different from each other, uh, one of the, so that you could, uh, if they were in civilian clothes, you could actually tell who they were. And uh, one thing that I did was I thought about um, uh, the body types of the, you know, but like for example, I made one character, the two male characters, I made one distinctly taller than the other. So that's one thing. So even in silhouette, you could tell who was who. Um, I, and, and I tried to make the women also different heights and different body types. And man, did I get so much shit for? You know, Siren's boobs are too big. Uh, this other one's boobs are too small, and this other one is not pretty enough. And then I, I, uh, uh, I drew a waitress in one of the one of the uh, one of the um, issues, and she was a side character. So I just drew her as as what I felt was like an average-looking person. And then someone wrote in about like, why did you draw that troll in that um, in that scene? And I'm like, because this is a world where people look different and have different body types and different levels of physical you know, beauty or attractiveness. And uh, my takeaway was you can't please anybody. So you might as well not please anybody. And, uh, but yeah, but it was surprising how much focus there was on the breast size of these characters. For me, it was simply a matter of differentiating 
body types. They're all different kinds. Look around, there's all different kinds of men and women with all different kinds of body types. Um, I don't think that uh, looking at, at through the prism of entertainment for my daughter, for example, is, is through one prism. Um, I, I don't want her to be looking at female characters that are overly sexualized. I also don't want to hide actresses or actors or characters who happen to be a little bit on the busty side. Those people also exist. Because um, that also is like equating large breast size is instantly, sex is automatically intrinsically sexualized as well. So it's obviously it's very complicated. <laughs> We've got a good mix of independent and um, more mainstream comics here on the panel. So I want to open up to you guys and sort of ask you how are you in art direction or in, in how you're thinking about uh, character development and character design and anatomy, anatomy questions and character. Building your character into um, building your character into the story. What are you thinking physically? What are you thinking about this stuff? And you're laughing at me. And you're making no, fun of me. I said something I'm not stupid. laughing. I'm not <laughs> making fun of you. But it reminds. I, I, I remember telling you this story. Um, I have a character named Machiavella Maria Marcona. It is the main character for the book and three. And my my co-writer, my co-creator Vicente Alcazar is an amazing Spanish artist, and he drew for. Uh, ANA Comics was doing a breast cancer awareness issue. So it was like a swimsuit issue. And he drew Bella in a swimsuit with a gun and she's in this like black bikini. And it's nothing, it's not like a crazy bikini, like it's a regular bikini and everything. And I made it into a, hey Andy. I made it into a uh, poster. You know, ever, all the people in our style, you all have the big banners behind you. And you have a chair, dude. Actually, no, we don't. Do you have a chair? Do you want to sit on my lap? No. Harassment! That feels like it would be inappropriate for this panel. I just put it out there. Um, so I had made it into one of these big banners, this you know, attractive woman in a bikini with a gun, and someone comes up to me and goes, God, she's fat. Now, this is a woman who is athletic. She is fit. She is about 5'8 and about 135 pounds, which is probably like perfect. But someone said she's fat. And I I think my husband had to actually put his hands on my shoulders because I almost got out of the chair. <laughs> 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 to turn around and say that that was How old was this person? Maybe a kid? Was it no, this is he was probably in, it was a, a No offense. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, said, you said he. Yeah, no, he was probably like in his late 20s. So he should have known better. It's not like this 14-year-old kid who like. Trying, uh, yeah. Yeah, so he was probably in his late 20s like, God, she looks fat. Oh, hell no. You know, that's ridiculous. I mean, because in my mind, she actually looks trim and athletic. And maybe, maybe she looks even a little too thin. But fat? Oh, hell no. And that's the thing. And you were saying, you know, you draw someone who's an, an quote-unquote average-looking person, and they're giving you hell because why'd you draw that troll? No, it's just a normal person. They're normal people. What, what, uh, look to the left and look to the right. Does the person to the left and right of you look exactly like you? If I can interject, interject really quickly, one of the things that I, I note in comic book art that I find um, uh, disappointing is that often um, the female characters, their faces are drawn really, really sort of lacking detail, they're just sort of uh, nostrils, oh, lips, and uh, and dark eyeshadow, and this sort of like Marilyn Monroe sort of idealized airbrush kind of thing. They have no character. And uh, and that's just something that I, I noticed. Well, that was got a big sign, but don't forget 
to show you know all the colors in the rainbow and all that kind of kind of thing for teaching why that's important to up and coming creators. For one thing, as a creator, if if you're not interested in the diversity of people, then you're limiting your abilities as a creator like tremendously. Uh, the types of things that you can work on. Um, but so we try to get to or what I try to get to is why? What's the thinking behind the stereotype? What are what are the types of thinking? That are dangerous. That can lead you down a fairly dangerous sort of sort of path. And one of the the sort of excuses, I guess, that I that I hear for for anything from racial to over-sexualized women to, to what have you is that it's just a comic book or it's you know it's just a story. It's part of the story. And I try. I do try to teach that that has an effect. Mm -hmm. And even if you're only reaching 200 people with your comic. That's 200 people who just got the wrong thing, um, and you need to you need to be thinking about that. That art has a tremendous has the ability to have a tremendous impact on society, and and, uh, and there's a responsibility that goes with that. Something about great power and responsibility. <laughs> 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 I can't remember where that comes from. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I uh, teach at Grub Street. Uh, comic writing and graphic novel writing, and I get a huge demographic, uh, a wide range of people. Some want to write mainstream comics. I got a, a young guy who wanted to write for Wonder Woman, and then I get a lot of people who want to write their own. And the thing that I always have to go back to in that class is, no matter what you're writing, uh, just make those characters human. Make the women human, and, and, and that makes them unique. If it comes through your own filter and you're, you're writing actual real human people then you know it's it's going to make them uh resonate and, and uh, people are going to be able to identify them with them and as editors one of our primary jobs is to have good taste um or to have taste <laughs> um and that you know that is where it kind of becomes a matter of if someone if something you know does kind of make us uneasy or hit us the wrong way that you know we do have a responsibility as you said to kind of step in and say all right maybe if we looked at this a little differently because I agree absolutely with everything you said about art having a responsibility of how it presents the world I actually completely disagree respectfully uh, I'm gonna I'll put it out there that I don't think um, art leads. I think that art is a reflection, art of any kind. Um, I think that the best reason to sort of embrace stories that are about different kinds of people is that you're going to, because this is these are the stories that you guys want to hear. It's clear that the, these are the stories that you people, the, the consumers, want to hear. I think that art is there it's, I don't think it's there to lead. I think it's there to sort of show this is what we're thinking about. And sometimes controversial art, uh, it, it, the reason it's controversial is because it's showing us something that we don't like about our society or we don't like about what's in the zeitgeist, so to speak. Um, I think that it's up to the artist to sort of, in a way, we are, we are expressing ourselves and we are offering, you know, we should be offering unique ideas, but what I think ideally a writer and artist should be doing in whatever medium is looking at where people are, where society is, where where individual people are, what they're feeling, what they're thinking in the current, you know, again, using that overused term, zeitgeist, and try to say something like that. And, and, and 
hopefully, ideally, um, say something about that discourse or those ideas that are out there in the ether that people haven't thought of before. So I just wanted to offer that, that thought. I don't think you and I actually disagree at all in what we're saying. Um, I think that it's more, what I'm saying is more just, you know, if you are an editor and you're reading something and you're like, oh man, I'm not comfortable with that, not from a, this story makes me uncomfortable because it's revealing uncomfortable truths kind of way, but in a, I don't think this works kind of way. In a, it, it is lazy writing or lazy drawing or whatever kind of way. I think that each individual editor kind of needs to find their own boundaries of what they're comfortable putting their name on and putting out into the world. I sit corrected. <laughs> well, let's, let's find a nexus between those two things and, and go into the next question because, all right, so uh, one of the things I liked that Ellie said was for taste making as editors or like shaping these stories. But what Dennis was, um, also said is mentions about time. So when we're talking about the difference between um, more widely distributed commercial comics um, from you know Marvel or DC or the, the bigger companies, and then we've got some people on the front line of indie. Um, if all of this art is a reflection of our society. Indie is at the forefront. Indie is at the edge where this stuff's coming up through indie faster. So of the people on, on our list, our panel here, who are, are, are making indie books and getting these things um, faster, getting like either self-publishing, creating the stuff, what are you seeing in terms of new trends coming up? What are you looking for, um, these stories that you're bringing that is a reflection of society that these stories are important to you that maybe don't trickle up um, into the, the overall zeitgeist later? Well, I see, I think this is an obvious answer to, 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 to what I see more of in indie, but I see a lot more LGBTQ comics. Um, and uh, I, there's a lot less resistance to that. I mean, with 215, you know, they're just so willing to work with me uh, on that subject matter and, and just really put it out there. And it, not just explore, you know, explore uh, issues of, of sexuality, issues of gender identity, and I mean, the sky's the limit, really. Uh, in far, as far as my experience with with indie comics and all the LGBTQ issues that that I want to write about. Um, so what I like about indie comics is that there's a broader, almost like sense of genre where it's like you could do a science fiction book about like. A dinosaur in space that like it's I know right well and it's completely fine and also there's a giant stylistic difference in just like the art so it's like sometimes art is a vehicle to tell these different stories and like if you look at blankets the way it's drawn reflects the narrative so much and in indie comics the thing you do is like if you want to tell these different stories you find the right artist that just can just spill their heart out onto the page and like it just feels so organic, which is what I really enjoy. And it's like, every time I pick up one of these books, it's a totally new experience that I've never had before. So it's like, it's like $2 and someone kinkosed it and just stapled it, but it's like, I cherish it. Cause like they really, really tried and put their heart into it. And it's just like, makes me want to try harder and make something awesome too. There's uh, something I noticed, uh, my artist about is here right now. and. <laughs> so uh, maybe like two years ago, we had a cover for our book too, and the cover was a picture of one of our main characters, Ariana, who's like a female African American character. And the poster we put up was of her, like sort of as an adult, like sort of in a warrior pose. And we had so many like 
female, females and so many uh, people of color come up to us and just love the color cover because they rarely see it on a, a cover comic anymore, you know? And I think indie is the place sort of where they're going because that's where you want to see yourself represented. Do you guys, for the more commercial comic, are you guys looking to indie for inspiration to sort of be where you want to go? I'm the wrong person to ask that. Uh, yeah, please. Uh, I'm kind of in the I'm kind of in the middle, like like you were saying that that a lot of my students want to come in, they want to work at Marvel and DC, they want to write or draw Marvel and DC. But the majority majority of my students, and this has been a uh, the pendulum has sort of shifted in the last several years. The majority of my students actually want to create their own book, and that's what I'm seeing more and more of. Is people just want to own their own thing and be in control of it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with I, with either way. I, I've worked at the big companies, but I think from from a from the standpoint of what um, you know, what the idea that indie has a wider genre is correct, because what we call mainstream comics is really a genre. It's superhero comics, mm. um, and that's a genre. And if you're doing indie, you can do a superhero indie comic, and that's fine. But you can do crime, you can do romance, you can do whatever else. So that's set, that's set on. Um, and what I found when I was a when I was an editor at Marvel was we did superhero comics and to keep myself interested, I would do superhero comics that I would mix with other genre. Mm -hmm. So I did a film noir detective comic um, that starred a superhero. Um, and I did a science fiction war story. So those were the those were the things that I did to sort of keep myself interested. I love superheroes, but I love those other things, those other things too. And what I'm seeing from students coming up and from a lot of the, the indie publishers is that reflection uh, of society. There's been a lot of like 99%, you know, the themes that are still cropping up and, and all, of, all of that sort of thing, as, as well as the, the topics we've been talking about. But I think in terms of, you know, if I were going back and, and looking at Marvel or DC, I think I would have to be paying attention to the indie books because there are so many good ones right now. Um, and some and many of them are eating up the sales chart. Uh, <laughs> you know, books That's like what you guys care about. Well, yeah, that's, that's what we're trained to, trained to care about. But I, but I do think that there's that one of the things that's really nice that's been happening is I do think that the genre has the genres have been opening up more. I think the audience has been diversifying, and I think that has come from the fact that creators, uh, content providers, uh, and readers are diversifying, and there's this more diverse content is being created. We're seeing that there is a market there, there's a hunger for it, and I think that's really great. And I hope but I think, you know, if I were back at Marvel today or back at IDW, I, I would definitely be looking at the indie creators in the indie market. And I was when I was at those places. I was definitely looking at the indie creators because that's where, that tends to be where the fresh voices are coming from. And once you have a fresh voice that's making waves, you're like, I am going to corporatize that guy. <laughs> And put them on on X Men or whatever, you know. And uh, and I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And one of the things that I, there's a balance being struck by a lot of creators now who who do their own creator own book, their own indie right. book, but then they also are doing something on you know on a superhero title. And and there's there used to be sort of these stigmas like this like like the two groups separated in the <coughs> corners, and I, I think that's breaking down, and I think that's healthy too. Okay. Um. We promised we would talk about Fringe Women. We promised we would talk about the Bechdel test. We promised we would talk about these things. The reason we want to talk about them now is now that popular culture has identified them as problematic, 
as creators going forward, how are these discussions influencing you now in terms of your decision making, in particular interested in City of Walls, um, because you guys have a young character, you've got a very young female character, um, and her development as a child, coming of age is actually really um, important too. So going forward, we've identified this stuff, we wanna, if we're gonna fridge a woman, we wanna, <laughs> we wanna know her name and we wanna have a reason so that it serves a story and that we're telling something that's being better about this. So <laughs> let's, <laughs> how are we, and the editors too, how are you, how is this informing your decision making when you're, when you're making judgments about where you're going? You wanna go first? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a small thing. Uh, I don't think it counts as fridging if we know her name and it's part of her own story. And I mean, and I'm, I'm saying this from a very personal place of having had this argument with a bunch of fans about a year ago. But um, I, I think that killing a woman in a comic is not always fridging. And I think that it is minimizing the issue of what fridging actually is to say that. That, you know, a case where, you know, a woman is being fridged is when this is completely about somebody else's story other than hers. If her death serves a purpose in her own story and she is a complete character and we know her name, it's it's not the same thing. Ellie has both I'll probably go back more to the uh, to the fridging thing in a second, but I wanna talk about this this uh, video I saw. It's called it was on YouTube now called Extra Credit and they were talking about uh, I guess, you know, strong female characters, and one of the videos really hit me, and the way they, they talked about it was, you know, people, you know, writers sometimes say, oh, I'm, it's hard for me to, like, write a female character or African-American character or a character I'm not that part of, and, you know, I mean, I can see that, but at the same time, you know, everyone's human, so obviously you're human, so right. you, you can obviously write that, but what they did say about writing a, a character sort of a female or of another race, I mean, the, you just have to consider what actually makes them different. And while some people fall on the crutch of, you know, physical, that's not really such a good writing tool. I mean, what they stressed was the idea of societal pressure and the idea of what society tells, you know, females or people of different races what to do and how much of that that they reject and how much they accept. Because nobody fully accepts what society says, oh, you should do this, you should do that, and nobody fully rejects it, you know. No one, I personally, like, I don't take everything that people say African Americans should do and at the same time I don't totally reject it. And that's the same I think for females. No one totally takes everything that society says and just says, Oh, I'm not gonna do that, I'm not gonna do this and the other way around. So um, <laughs> Yeah, uh what the one thing that I would say about it is uh I know that uh when it comes to sitting down and drawing a lot of these characters or even creating them. Um, I know specifically with me and Sean that we always kind of come from the same place and that's uh, specifically a human being. Uh, like Sean was saying, like we take into account the, the cultural ramifications of whatever the character is. I mean, definitely in City of Wolves, like our character, our, our female character, she's black and her father is black. So she's actually a mixed child, but you wouldn't know it just looking at her. And that plays into things that happen with the character. But it's a subtle thing. It's not something that we spend any type of real time doing. Like, a lot of the stuff that we end up playing around with that, like, we don't even talk to each other about it sometimes. Like, sometimes it'll just be something that Sean puts in the script, or it'll just be something that I include in the visuals. So, um, like, I've said this before. Uh, 
the way that I try to look at it, uh, Chris Rock had a great joke where he was like, true equality is, is uh, universal mediocrity, essentially, is what he said. <laughs> and um, that's kind of how I look at it, that uh, it's not about, it's, you know, when you can have a, a, a female character that's as crappy and, you know, lame as your average male character, <laughs> you're doing, you know, that's that's when you, and it's normal. I mean, and that's really what I, that's really what me and Sean always try to keep in mind is like normal. Like we, we go through the same thing too on our side with other black creators where we, you know, we see other black projects and it's like, they kind of take the, they kind of take the, they kind of take the root of doing the opposite extreme of the stuff that they're upset about. And, um, you know, that's not what we're interested in. We're interested in, in, in a bit of normalcy. We really approach the character just as uh, you know our character is a little girl in a city, um, in a messed up city, and that's kind of like where we start from. That's something another thing trickle in, but we don't start from the point of trying to make some sort of I guess statement. Right. You know. Yeah. Sort of starting with an agenda is always. I mean, those kinds of stories when I read them and I and I, I read them and I go, well, this is just a manifesto. Like this is just. This doesn't really reflect life um, or different points of view. Um, that I think, I think, ultimately, what the problem is, and Rick and I have discussed this at length. Ultimately, what the problem is is that there's clearly a problem at the macro level. Where if you look at all of the stories being output, I mean, it's certainly gotten better lately in the wonderful discourse going around. But if you look at the macro level. There's clearly a problem with lack of representation, and that and that look that frankly turns into, you know, a lot, you know, there, there's a market that's not being served, and anyone look and, and and as I said someplace else, you know, Marvel's not gonna if, if a eight year old girl raises five bucks in the air and says I want a comic book, Marvel is not gonna come by and slap the money out of her hand and go put your hand down. Like they want to they want to serve a market. Um, the problem is, and I really believe this, you can't tell an artist what to make. So while I can go, I can go, I understand that on a macro level there's underrepresentation. If I have a really great story idea that involves like like John Carpenter's The Thing, which is a wonderful movie, which is all men, not a single woman in an entire movie, I'm not gonna say, well, let's put a woman in there just to put her in. I mean I might stop and think about it, I might go, What what are the ramifications? Or I might there's a story to be told, I think, in that particular case, it's just about men. Uh, Fight Club is similar. Uh, you know, these are good, these are stories. And you, if someone has an idea for a story like Fight Club or The Thing, you can't tell them. There's been too many of those stories already, so knock it off. Um, but in terms of how it affects me, I mean, I've I've uh, I've I've got six or seven ideas in play at different companies, and almost all of them involve a major female character, and two of them are they're the leads, um, and probably would pass the Bechdel test, probably maybe. Um, I think these conversations are all, they're good guidelines. I mean, there's a difference between rules and guidelines. I think guidelines, discourse is good. It's, it's sort of like opening your window and saying, hey guys, I'm thinking about doing something like this and someone shuts back. Well, you know, if there was a little more representation in that story or maybe if you, if you thought of putting someone like that in there, I might be more interested and it's me going, then I have the choice to go, yes or no. I mean, I'm a Darwinian. I think put it out there and society will tell you Yes or no, and, and and look. Sometimes look, you know, Vermeer, you know, one of the most famous artists in history. Uh, after his lifetime, no one was interested in him for like three hundred years, and, and everyone that did, every art ex expert that dismissed him as an unimportant artist 
was just wrong, but they were wrong for 300 years until that conversation changed. So you also, as an artist, have to accept, it sounds like the cliche of acting on that. As an artist, you have to accept the possibility that you're gonna create something that just isn't the right time for it. So at the end of the day, you have to just be true to yourself. I do have to say one thing when you were talking about John Comperton was saying, yes, that there's no women like in the cast, but it's kind of interesting when you look at some films like Alien. Uh, Ripley was originally written as a male. Right. Now, yes, there's still there was still the, that other woman in cast and things like that, right. but the characters were originally written as a male. The movie Salt with Angelina Jolie that came out a few years ago, that character was originally written as a male. And there was somebody in the room that just said, hey, wouldn't it be interesting to make this character female? One thing that kind of gets me is that some people say, oh, I wrote a strong female character. They simply wrote a male character with, oh, yeah. at, but they just added breasts. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something that kind of gets me sometimes when some people, you know, does that mean that she needs to be uh, any, but then you throw in male stereotypes that she has to be completely devoid of emotion, <coughs> that she doesn't have to be attractive, that she doesn't have to be sexy, there can't be anything about her. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to go back to films like The Thing and see if they had put a female character in there. Uh, maybe not the lead. We, had, uh, we need to open this up four questions. Sorry, true. You guys can, can put them on the hot seat. I'm the only person who regrets anything that I've said up here so far. So <laughs> any of you can make them say something they're going to regret. You Please. can free download comics. So let me get some questions for you guys. I have one hand shoot up real quick. Uh-huh. Shout. Shout. As creators or, or as characters? As creators, the comic book artists, okay. filmmakers, novelists, what have you. Um, anyway, right now we have a batch of males that are going against us along with ugly trolls, feminazis, what have you. Do you have any advice for any of these women that perhaps every day work so hard to fight against these stereotypes? My, my constant mantra is don't read the comics, don't read the comments, ever. That's my mantra, honest to God. Because if you read the comments, you, I mean, even if there, yeah, it is a complete black hole. We were on, we were on a panel last year, uh, and, and Newsarama had written, we were on a Women in Comics panel last year, it was with Becky Cloonan and um, Amy Chu, and there were comments on the bottom. I had made a comment about uh, women being sort of marginalized. And the comment was, excuse me, Mrs. Schultz, please explain to me how women have been marginalized, and blah, 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 and starts ripping me apart. And two things happened. One, I thought for half a moment, man, I'm really gonna cry, this makes me feel like crap about myself. And then the second thing happened, that but my husband stopped me, I was gonna throw my laptop out the freaking window. <laughs> because there was no way that I could find that son of a bitch to beat him over the head with the goddamn thing. <laughs> so don't read the comments, you're, you're better than that, what you're doing is important, and this, and I mean this seriously, what you're doing is important. And if it's important to you, it's important to other people, and you're better than that. Fuck them. You can both me. Talking about this before, Batgirl, 
girls I'm, I would not give my daughter right now. I, I went from Gail Simone, Birds of Prey, to this. <laughs> and, and Selena Kyle has been totally neutered, I think, as, as an empowered character, not just woman. And I feel like I have even gone through all my favorite character types from a black exploitation story arc, where it's a dark guy searching for his dark girlfriend with big butts. I would totally read Shaft in Space. Let's put it in space. So if you're an indie writer, maybe I could get you a letter. How do I write Jeff Johns? How do I make change in mainstream comics so that I can give my daughter?
definitely helps. I mean, I've had people contact me that got Flutter online, that downloaded it digitally, that they probably wouldn't have gone into the bookstore because they're or into a comic store because they're a girl because they're not out yet. I've had people from Syria and other places in the world I, that you know it's like you know that how else would they get it right now that they're able to get it online. So definitely digital helps. If they're mean to you at the comic shop, just don't go there. <laughs> like, why are you giving Yelp, them your Yelp money? Yelp that bitch right there. Yelp, <laughs> like, Yelp the hell out of it. We have one minute, and this lovely lady. Uh, so I had a quick question about covers, since you brought it up. I know you've mentioned a lot of news coverage about covers, and as a blogger, it's something that I've followed very active. How do you, as writers, artists, editors, sort of consciously look at covers and, and determine whether or not you feel they're uh, not I, I can answer my question very, about that my part very quickly. I, that's not for me to say. I, uh, the ultimate power is buy it or don't buy it. I think there's a lot of you know, a lot of wind and thunder being blown for stuff that just doesn't matter when there's a lot of more important things in the world. I mean, to be honest, it's one cover. It's it, it's not the best. I mean, the, we're talking about the Monera cover. Not not the best. Not the best work he's ever done. That's my own just my own personal opinion. But it's one cover. And my, my deep concern as an artist and as a writer is that, or, or like uh, if someone's a comedian or any kind of, we're, 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 we're expecting that person to express things, often stuff that we don't like to hear, and we can't threaten their livelihood if they're gonna make a mistake. I'm gonna say a lot of stuff during the course of my career. Some of the stuff I'm gonna change my mind on, it's, it's gonna be you know, poorly conceived, or I'll, I, I, but I do my best. And if I can say one thing is taken out of context and blown up and my career is over, what's going to happen is people are going to stop expressing themselves and stop taking risks, and then it's not art anymore. I got two very quick things to say about that. One, the Monera cover, I found the whole thing completely retarded. I was straight <laughs> up, because honestly, there's a J. Scott Campbell cover, the exact same pose, classic Spider-Man, his butt is really shiny in that one. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, shiny, shiny butt. It's the same thing. So come on, man. And the other thing about it is, is um, actually, you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> Time is up. Um, we can find everybody outside. Um, we want to clear the room. Yeah, but these people were up at 10:46, and um, sorry, dude. <laughs>